This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around a fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Uh, busy show as always. Here's what's headed your way. Our panel tonight, Joseph Farah, founder, publisher of WND.com and Megan Barth of ReaganBaby.com will weigh in on a, a very difficult question, one I can't believe we're really broaching, uh, given the state of political discourse in the United States, uh, political discourse really that has spilled over into almost every aspect of life, the chasm uh, between left and right widening. Uh, tension mounting, erupting now into violence. Uh, so the question to our panel uh, tonight, are the differences between left and right irreconcilable? Is this situation in danger of disintegrating into, dare I say it, civil war? That's where we're at. We're actually asking this question. Uh, then, a little later, a renowned surgeon, researcher, and award-winning medical writer will discuss his real-life battle with Big Pharma over the sale of dangerous prescription medicines. Uh, bottom of the hour, a special invitation to those of you joining us on the live YouTube chat. Your questions to me, and we'll uh, try to get to as many of those questions and answer them. That's at the bottom of the hour. Of course, our big reveal for our weekly remote viewing experiment. Then Nick Redfern will drop by, good friend of the program, uh, one of the world's foremost authorities on UFOs, just in time for Roswell's 70th anniversary. Uh, new MJ-12 uh, documents have been obtained. And uh, Nick will discuss whether these documents uh, prove once and for all whether UFOs crashed near Roswell, New Mexico in 1947 or 
Are these documents a hoax? Second hour, of course, open lines, as always, and the crop circle gal. Filmmaker, researcher Patty Greer will be here uh, to discuss newly found crop circle formations uh, that are appearing uh, all over the world and what they might possibly mean. All that, plus, as I said, what's in the box, our weekly remote viewing experiment first. Let me introduce, as always, the boys in the band. On the other side of the glass, our technical producer, Ian Robertson, on the Flying V Gibson guitar. And on the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, the intrepid story producer, Albert Venzel. Finally, on the Hammond B3, our good friend, feature producer, Ryan White. Gentlemen, welcome all. Uh, now, just very quickly ahead of our panel, it's time for our weekly remote viewing experiment. So, what's in the box? Remember, you must tweet your answer to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett, S-Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett. Use the hashtag, this is important, TCS Remote, TCS The Conspiracy Show, TCS Remote. Here are your coordinates. So, the object is hidden from view in this cigar box to my left, and it's uh, resting on the desk here in studio at Zoomerplex 70 Jefferson Avenue in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. There you are. Good luck. Again, send your answer to me at Richard Serrett using the hashtag TCSRemote. And uh, there is some conspiracy show merchandise uh, to the, uh, the skilled remote viewer or remote viewers. Uh, with the uh, the correct answer. And uh, just take a moment, get on up to uh, the online merchandise store, the online store at theconspiracyshow.com, and we've got T-shirts and mugs and phone cases. And if you're a fan of The Conspiracy Show, hey, why not show it off and uh, get your very own T-shirt, mug, etc. And you can also help support the work we do here on the program. Again, the online store at theconspiracyshow.com. All right, to the panel. Unless you've been hiding in a cave uh, somewhere, uh, you're uh, well aware, painfully aware, of the state of uh, political discourse in the United States uh, that began even before the presidential election last fall. We're now at a point where one side considers a difference of opinion on politics or policy illegal. It makes you immoral or subhuman even. Uh, the Democratic leadership, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Hillary Clinton, have essentially branded the Republican Party a party of killers. Even after a leftist activist and Bernie Sanders volunteer gunned down Republicans who had gathered in Alexandria, Virginia about a week and a half ago for a baseball practice, the rhetoric is only being ratcheted up. Radical college professors have tweeted, they hope U.S. Representative Scalise, one of the victims in the shooting, dies. And instead of being fired, that college professor was congratulated by his colleagues. This is where we're at. The question is, where do we go from here? Is it beyond repair, or is this the beginning of an exorable descent into, dare I say it, civil war? Joseph Farah fought the establishment media from the inside out, first by excelling from within, by climbing the ranks of his profession, to run major market metro dailies, and secondly, by launching the first independent online news agency, World Net Daily, some 20 years ago. Today, WND.com is a top 200 website in the U.S., a top 20 news website globally, and the number one Christian website of any kind in the world. Fifteen years ago, he founded WND Books, which boasts the highest percentage of New York Times bestsellers of any publishing company. Joseph Farah, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? 
I'm good. Nice to be with you, Richard. A pleasure. Thank you. Megan Barth is the founder and proprietor of ReaganBaby.com, a nationally recognized political commentator. She's appeared on Headline News, CNN, Newsmax TV, One America News Network, America Trends with Dr. Gina, The Blaze Radio, and is regularly uh, and has a regular weekly appearance on a variety of nationally syndicated radio shows. Megan Barth, welcome to you. How are you? Uh, good, Richard. And it is ReaganBabe.com. Reagan, what did I say? Reagan baby? My apologies. Yep. My apologies. That's, okay. That's I, right. I evolved into a babe. That's all right. <laughs> it, used to be, it used to be that, and then I got hijacked, and I had to change it real quick. So now we're at ReaganBabe.com. ReaganBabe.com. Uh, Joseph, mm-hmm. if I may, let me start with you. How would you characterize the state of political discourse in the United States right now? Well, it's very bad, Richard, and I have my moments when I think, wow, we could be on the verge of civil war. I've I've speculated like that in my column at WND.com. But, you know, I lived through the 60s, and I don't know if anybody else on this phone call uh, lived through the 60s, and things were pretty bad then, too. And on that, at that point, I was on the other side of the fence. Uh, I, I, you know, I am a former leftist, and uh, I think we were very close then. Um, it's a little scary now because this is where... The mainstream, quote unquote, media are okay. They're the ones that are as detached from reality as the far, you know the far leftists are now, and that's the big difference. And I think that that's the obstacle we have to overcome with shows like this, Richard. Quite honestly, with uh, you know websites like WND.com, that's the way we uh, extinguish this raging fire of insanity that is sweeping the country. Uh, Joseph, uh, I think one different difference, and you could correct me on this if, if you will, but in the 60s, we had the Weathermen, we had the Black Panthers, we had Puerto Rican um, terrorists. Uh, quite separate, though, from the Democratic Party. We had, in the 60s, you had Democrats, liberal-minded people of good conscience who would denounce that violence. Now they seem to be in lockstep. But the Democratic Party embraced that in 1972, as you will recall, when uh, George McGovern uh, became the nominee. And it has drifted further and further to the extremes of the left. And for the last, uh, you know, the last eight years of Obama, uh, we saw it, uh, you know, completely in the tank of the far left. Uh, Megan. So that's where we are today. And, And when these people are out of power, what we found is. They're even crazier than when they were in power, (laughs) more desperate, and that's what we're up against right now. Megan, where do you think this is headed? What has to happen in in order to repair the state, not only of political discourse, but to repair the republic, because that's what's at stake? Yeah, and I didn't grow up in the 60s, so I was not witness. I'm a student of history, and so I understand what Joseph and yourself is talking about. However, I would also challenge that we didn't have Democrat leaders calling for blood or violence on the street. And these are leaders of the Democrat Party, ranging from Hillary Clinton to Loretta Lynch. And we never had a community organizer as commander-in-chief, who now is going to community organize, which is just another good word for agitate uh, the country once again. Uh, the policies uh, of the Democrats, or excuse me, the rhetoric of the Democrats is emboldened by the cover-up of the press or the support of the press. We have a mainstream media that has been exposed to be in the tank 
with the Democrat Party, not the American people. The press's number one duty is to search the truth, report the truth, and act with integrity. Uh, they violate all of those ethics and mores that uh, are of, of, upon their shoulders. Nor did we have in the 60s uh, a fellow uh, by the name of George Soros that has infiltrated our country with anti-American NGOs, which fund not only the Democrat Party, but also a variety, uh, up to 200 NGOs, uh, held by the Open Societies Foundation, which has been traced to uh, violent uprisings, whether you see it in Chicago or Ferguson or Berkeley or Oakland or Baltimore. So I think what we need to do is uh, find some Democrat leaders, if there are, that exist today that aren't militant uh, in their cause, that are clear thinking and, and uh, you know, politically uh, astute, I guess, or diplomatic uh, to raise the bar and level of the conversation. But I don't have much hope for it due to the fact that the, the rhetoric, the insightful rhetoric over this past week with regards to the health care bill, referring to Republicans as murderers, that we are going to kill 27 million people or 17,000 people or whatever the number is. It's the re Republicans who are going to kill people. This is what they're saying. Right. Jo let me so, just say, get Joseph in here. Joseph, have you, have you ever witnessed a period in time where a, a, a political difference of opinion uh, is they seek to criminalize it? No, that, that is the difference between now and the 60s because, you know, uh, during the 60s, the left was out of power, if you will, and so they needed to get access to the media and so forth. They were the ones fighting for free speech. It's just the opposite today, as, as you both know, uh, that these guys want to squelch uh, free speech. They want to do it on, they've already done it on the college campuses, and, 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 uh, and, and now we have people who are trying to you know, stifle the Internet and so forth. And uh, so, look, we're, we're in very perilous times. Megan is right. Uh, I did want to bring up that there, you know, is some precedent for uh, the craziness of the left. It's just that the left has experienced power, and now they're out. And, uh, and everything Megan says is correct. The Soros factor is very important. There's money at stake. <laughs> which was certainly not the case in the 60s. By, me, by any means necessary, and it looks like uh, they are taking that to heart. Joseph Farah, WND.com, and Megan Barth, ReaganBabe.com. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you. All right, when we come back, uh, one of the world's most predominant stem cell researchers and the author of Deadly Prescription, Dr. Robert Marks. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740. Or toll free at 1 866 740 4740. Hey, welcome back. Just a reminder at the uh, bottom of the hour, we'll do our big reveal, our weekly remote viewing experiment. What's in the box? Once again, use the hashtag TCS 
TCS, as in The Conspiracy Show, remote. Hashtag TCS remote. And uh, one lucky winner, or several maybe. Not lucky. There's no luck involved here. One skilled remote viewer or remote viewers will uh, walk away with some Conspiracy Show merchandise. And I will also take questions uh, from those of you in our uh, live chat, uh, YouTube live chat, which um, I don't want, I, I hate to, you know, I don't want to ignore you is what I'm saying. I, I, I want to acknowledge uh, those of you who join us on the live chat every week. You're so faithful and supportive. So I want to, to give you an opportunity to, to weigh in with some questions. And incidentally, we have, as I say, set a modest uh, goal on our YouTube channel, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, of 10,000 subs. And we are now just over halfway there, thanks to you. So take a moment, get on to the uh, YouTube channel, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, and uh, you can watch us stream the show. Most weeks, we stream live. Again, hit that subscribe button. All right. Uh, one of the world's most predominant stem cell researchers and bone marrow transplant specialists, Dr. Robert Marks, has written a bone-chilling fiction novel that is so realistic and compelling, it seems to blur the line of imagination and reality in Deadly Prescription. This medical suspense story, it makes you wonder what really goes on behind closed doors in boardrooms. How much of it is truth? How much fiction is something I guess you'll have to decide for yourself? Uh, Dr. Merriweather is the main character. He's preparing to testify against North Star Drug Company and Apollo Pharmaceuticals, two global conglomerates whose drugs have caused devastating harm to his patients and thousands of others. Now, if this sounds familiar, it's because it could have been ripped from today's headlines. Missouri, for example, has just filed suit against three pharmaceutical companies for allegedly violating the state's Medicare fraud and consumer protection statutes by misrepresenting the truths about opioids. This, of course, uh, from Attorney General John Hawley. The companies named in that suit are Purdue Pharma, Endo Pharmaceuticals, and Janssen Pharmaceuticals. I don't need to tell you about the uh, opioid epidemic, the addiction epidemic happening not only in the United States, but uh, here as well in Canada. Uh, these companies uh, knew the drugs they sell and market are highly addictive, even life-threatening if misused, according to the uh, Attorney General. And yet they've engaged in a deliberate campaign of fraud to convince Missouri doctors and Missouri consumers otherwise. And I'm sure there will be other uh, state suits against uh, Big Pharma in the days, weeks, and months ahead. Uh, but here to talk about his uh, book, Deadly Prescription, is Dr. Robert Marks, a professor of surgery and chief of the Division of Oral and uh, Maxillofacial Surgery at the University of Miami's Miller School of Medicine. He's a well-known as an educator, researcher, and innovative surgeon. He's pioneered new concepts and treatments for pathologies of the oral and maxillofacial areas, as well as new techniques in reconstructive surgery. As a researcher, he's made valuable contributions in the use of hyperbaric oxygen following radiation therapy, in the development of um, platelet-rich plasma, and in, in elucidating the relationship between smoking and carcinogenesis. He is the author of Deadly Prescription. Dr. Marks, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Thank you for uh, hanging out. How are you? Uh, I'm very fine, and thank you for having me. My pleasure. What inspired you uh, to write, uh, again, the book is ostensibly a piece of fiction, but was it a personal experience that you had with Big Pharma? Well, the personal experience has been somewhat extensive. Uh, in 2003, we published an article exposing the fact that many of the osteoporosis medications and some of the cancer patients were causing dead bone in the jaws. 
and this has now become a virtual epidemic, and even one of the new drugs called Proli out there is causing uh, even more now. And so this started uh, an episode of my confronting the corruption and identifying the corruption in Big Pharma today. As a medical doctor, how... Um, let me say, how can I say this? I mean, for you to come out and speak about this publicly, uh, to take on Big Pharma, not only in a piece of fiction, but uh, to talk about it on the air this way, I mean, how... That can't be great for your career. <laughs> well, um, I think we're a little bit... Um protected from a, a bit, a, a novel is actually a parody. So uh, everything in there is somewhat protected. But, I mean, the real exposure is when I face them uh, in the courts. Uh, they have a lot of pushback, uh, threats, uh, offers of big money and research grants to get you to um, be soft on them and not really testify against them. That was the biggest problem. I, I don't want to... Um catch you off guard here, but I, I wondered if you would care to weigh in on, for example, the opioid uh, epidemic and the, the lawsuit that uh, was recently launched by the Missouri Attorney General. Well, I'm not as intimately uh, familiar with what you described about the opioid epidemic and what you uh, described was going on in Missouri, but I would say that uh, it is uh, somewhat replete throughout the drug industry of um, underplaying their side effects, uh, minimalizing uh, the severity of the side effects and not really publishing them. Uh, the issue I had with Merck Company when I first brought it to their attention, I thought they would accept uh, the fact that we found one of the problems with their medication. Instead, they uh, gave a lot of pushback. Uh, they denied it and started, you know, a, a campaign of, uh, of refusal. Uh, so essentially, they were doing the same thing. I found out that uh, they didn't even research uh, the potential for exposed bone, and they really should have. Once we found out how the medicine works, uh, many of the osteoporosis drugs kill a normal cell in the human body. And when you do that, you need to read the pathology books and find out what does that cell normally do, and if you kill it, what disease might it cause? And if they read the pathology books that every medical student reads and every dental student reads, they would have found a, a disease called osteo petrosis, which means bone hard as a rock, and that's what they caused. They actually caused an existing genetic disease through their drugs. Is part of the problem uh, the, 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 the methodology behind how these drugs are approved and, the, and, the, and the, the, the way these studies are funded? Because there was a period of deregulation, I guess, under Reagan, and now we don't have independent studies. We have drug companies funding their own studies, uh, and then perhaps in some instances, I'm not saying necessarily in the opioid studies, or, or these will have to be litigated, but in some instances suppressing uh, some of the adverse health effects, health, and not releasing those in the studies. Talk to me about the, the, the process by which these, the, the efficacy and the safety of these drugs are studied. So you're, you hit it right on the head. The flaw is in the system. First of all, the FDA does not review any of the drugs themselves. They, they don't do independent studies. They rely on the drug companies. The drug companies pay the FDA to assess their research. Uh, the drug companies pay consultants to do the research. And when you're paid multi-millions of dollars, uh, you, you want to come up with a positive result. And so I think there's some bias that's normally placed within it uh, that naturally occurs uh, with big research grants. 
that fund cash-starved universities. So the system is a bit flawed uh, related to that. The FDA is also underfunded and understaffed. So when a drug company produces a drug to the FDA, they only do two years of research. And if you take a look at the major scandals that have gone on, Vioxx, Fenfen, um, now Gardasil that's going on today, and the one I was involved with, Fosamax and Zometa and the others, uh, these were only research in the human trials for two years. Yet all of the problems come out after they've been on the market in the real world for two years. And, and sort of the gold standard of um, a scientific study is the, the long-term double-blind study, but those are expensive, and if they want to get these, you know, that, that's going to eat into their profits. Yes, I mean, there's a solution to this. I recommended, and I've actually written a letter to the Republican senator from Iowa, Charles Grassley, recommending some reasonable changes. First of all, when a drug company has a desire to get a drug approved, they should provide that research money to the FDA, and the FDA then chooses independent researchers at various universities or wherever to conduct a study, not hand-picked researchers from the drug company. Uh, for instance, the American Society of Bone and Mineral Research developed a position paper on this entity that we call osteonecrosis of the jaws. I was invited to be part of it. I resigned because 19 of the 25 of us were paid consultants to the drug companies, including the chairman of the position paper development. That's not right. That's called bias. Well, th that speaks to another issue, uh, and that is the revolving door uh, problem where you have someone in, uh, you know, who's involved in a major pharmaceutical company uh, then becoming uh, the, you know, the, uh, the head of the FDA or being employed at the CDC, uh, and then after they, uh, they leave there, they're back into the pharmaceutical business. I mean, how can that be addressed? Uh, it, it can be addressed only on the political level where that person is recused from uh, participating at that level. Uh, but, but probably the more major problem is that the actual research needs to be done by independent researchers, not paid consultants of the different drug companies. And so that's where you get some of the problems. Plus, uh, it's not the researcher that writes the protocol. The people who write the protocol is the drug companies. The uh, physicians out there just conduct it according to the drug company standards. And what they do is they, they address the research to be designed to show a favorable result for their drug. And that's why when it gets to the real world, where you don't have exclusion criteria and you exclude the people who are going to get complications, you find out where the, the real amount of side effects and the severity of side effects come about. Because in the research, they eliminate the loser, so to speak. Dr. Robert Marks is with us, the author of Deadly Prescription. Uh, when, I, when you look at... This is a, this speaks to the whole peer-reviewed uh, issue, and that is when you look at uh, Lancet or New England Journal of Medicine or any of the other um, uh, journals, you, they're, they're filled with ads of pharmaceuticals. I mean, how can we trust then even the peer-review system and that it's free from bias when their revenue is coming from big pharma? Well, they will hate me for saying this. The answer is you can't. Probably the best example of this is that in the famous Vioxx scandal, and, and to bring your readers up to date on that, Vioxx was the best non-narcotic 
pain medication we ever saw. It was really very good. A Merck company put it out. However, 139,000 Americans developed heart attacks from this particular drug, so much so that they had to pull it off the market and settle out of court for $980 million. However, they published an article in the New England Journal of Medicine that compared Vioxx to what we call Aleve today, Naprosyn. And the whole article goes on with very elaborate statistics of how superior Vioxx was to Aleve in pain control. It had about three to four sentences claiming that Vioxx uh, was neutral related to heart attacks and cardiovascular events, as they called it, but Naprosyn had a four times better uh, result because they were like aspirin and protected the heart. Well, Naprosyn doesn't do that. The reality was, was that Vioxx was detrimental to the heart by the way it works. It is what is called a COX-2 inhibitor. The heart muscle and vascular require COX-2. When you eliminate that particular uh, enzyme from the system, the, the cells within the heart undergo a change that leads to heart attacks. They A, should have known it, and B, they tried to hide it with that particular article, and the New England Journal of Medicine bought it. So here we have the peer-reviewed journal, as in, in your words, or not exact words, but is suspect. We have the, the whole methodology behind studying these, uh, the efficacy and safety of drugs is suspect. We have this re- revolving issue where the, the watchdog, supposedly the FDA, uh, the people that, that uh, are supposed to be watching over the drug companies, work for the drug companies and then come back and forth and so forth. Uh, who, where do we turn? Who, do we, who are we to trust? Well, I would say that the FDA um, is, is not really in the pocket of the drug companies, although the drug companies pay for their studies. The problem with the FDA is that uh, they do not have the authority to do independent studies. They are underfunded and understaffed. They're doing actually a pretty good job for what they're asked to do. It is our systems, our politicians, that need to reinforce the strength of the FDA with better funding, more staff, and have the authority to one uh, conduct their studies independently, and as I suggest in this letter to uh, Senator Grassley, is that after five years of a medicine on the market, the FDA should have the ability to re-review it, and if the track record shows major complications, have the ability to either A, place a significant warning called a black box warning, or Uh, disapprove it from the market. All right, Dr. Marks, I have to jump in there. We are sadly out of time. Thank you again, Dr. Robert Marks. The book is Deadly Deception, sorry, Deadly Prescription. Where can they get that book, Dr. Marks? Uh, The book is available on Amazon.com. I'm glad to say that it's a bestseller on Amazon.com and it's on um, uh, Borders Book and uh, Barnes & Noble. Deadly Prescription. Thank you so much. I hope you'll join us again, Dr. Robert Marks. Thank you. All right. The the result of our weekly remote viewing experiment and uh, also uh, those of you on the live chat room on YouTube, send me your questions. Back with more. Stay with us. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740. Or toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. 
The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, uh, welcome back. Those phone numbers you just heard coming back, uh, you'll, uh, you'll want to use those. They'll come in handy at the top of the hour when we do open lines, open lines after the top of the hour, and then uh, Patty Greer. Uh, towards the tail end of the program, the uh, crop circle gal. And uh, a lot of crop circle activity, apparently, so we'll uh, get to the bottom of that. Nick Redfern is coming up shortly, our good friend uh, and very, very prolific writer. Uh, he has a new book out uh, about Roswell, and we'll uh, discuss the release of some alleged MJ-12 documents. Uh, Heather Wade from Art Bell's program, Midnight in the Desert, she is the now is now host, and uh, she came into possession of some documents, uh, that she was having uh, looked at. I don't think Heather Wade ever made any pronouncements that these are real, uh, but they did come into her possession, and uh, Nick Redfern will weigh in on those documents. He's had a look at them. And uh, right now, however, it is time for What's in the Box, our weekly remote viewing experiment, the big reveal. So let's uh, let's go around the horn uh, in studio first uh, on the other side of the glass. Ian Robertson, what's in the box? Uh, I'm seeing something round. Round. Can yes, you be a little more sure. specific? That's pretty, pretty general. <laughs> what else are you seeing? Colors, textures. Uh, not smooth. Not smooth. But like bumpy. Bumpy, round. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's all you're getting. That's okay, that's all right. <laughs> uh, Albert Vinzel, what's in the box, my friend? I, I put some guesses on Twitter. I, I'm afraid they're all guesses again this week. But I guessed a yellow bird, like a rubber ducky, a pair of glasses, sunglasses, or the Blue Jays, <laughs> and they're all guesses. I'm afraid. All right, and uh, finally over to you, Ryan. What's in the box? The only thing I saw was like a, an old pipe, like an old smoking pipe, like something, you know, maybe Winston Churchill, you know, something like that. All right. There's a bunch on Twitter here. Yes, let's get to the Twitter uh, action, Okay, Albert. Uh, Mojo Family says something silver to do with food, perhaps a spoon or dinner bell. Richard Daniels guesses a fidget spinner. Karen Hendry says a candy bar, Hershey to be exact. Uh, Wawa says a ball of yarn or something stringy with uh, with branches, beige or green. Ed Krez says a baseball card. Mark says a pocket watch. Uh, the ghost of ULP says something rectangular. Uh, there's my guess. Um, Aaron G says a mousetrap. Uh, Seven Flamingo says a matchbook. Ghost of Yellow ULP gets a second guess with a small mirror. And, uh, oh, 45 minutes ago, um, Drew says that he sees a medal, a trophy. All right. Here's the big reveal. Uh, nobody, you know, someone said something round, um, but not good enough, I'm afraid. It's actually, it's a heart. It's got uh, little arms here to hug Aww. you. Uh, but it's... No winners. Which camera do I point up? This one up here? Okay, there we are. Can we see it? A beautiful red heart. All right. Thank you for all uh, for participating. We'll uh, get to that again uh, next week. And again, remember, what's in the box? Uh, use the hashtag TCS Remote. And uh, take a moment, get on up to the website, theconspiracyshow.com, and check out the online merchandise store. All right. Now, uh, Ryan, let's take some questions from our fabulous uh, uh, people in the uh, who join us every week in the uh, live chat uh, at YouTube. Well, there's a good one here from Neo JB. He says, disclosure, Richard, when? 
When's disclosure? Uh, not going to happen officially from the president of the United States. He's never going to stand in the Rose Garden and say, yes, it's real. The UFOs are real. Aliens are real. I don't think that'll ever happen. Certainly not in our lifetime. Um, I mean, aside from that, will there be some sort of unofficial disclosure? Maybe, you know, for, for many people, that's already occurred. Maybe the evidence is already sufficient and they, they've already made up their minds, you know, that, that they're here and they're real. I think a lot of us feel, you know, that way, that there is something going on, unidentified flying objects. There's no question that they're real. The question is, who's piloting them and what do they want? And we all have different opinions on that. I think I've made mine pretty clear. I think they're interdimensional and, yes, I think they're demonic. Um, I don't think they're here, you know, to save us from, from ourselves and to supply us with, with free energy. Not to say that they don't have it and there aren't certain groups here on Earth that have it, uh, but they're not giving it up, are they? Official disclosure, not going to happen. All right, uh, great answer for sure. Neil was happy to, that you answered that question. Um, music miscellaneous. Uh, he, he asks, we're getting increasingly more addicted to technology. It's very hard to put it on your phones and whatnot. What long-term effects do you think that might have on society? Uh, I, we're, we're turning into, um, you know, my good friend Nelson Thal, the media scientist, I'm trying to sort of um, um, project him and, and remember things that he's told me because he's a, he's a, a disciple of Marshall McLuhan who had, who had a lot to say about the effect of technology. One of the things was that it scrubs off identity. Um, technology scrubs off identity and it causes us to, to sort of revert back to a more tribal type of uh, a situation. And we're seeing that play out now, right? People are becoming more violent, and it's because of a loss of identity, according to, you know, McLuhan, uh, Marshall McLuhan. Uh, but we've all seen kids that, that, uh, that all they can, you know, they, can, they communicate in 140 characters, and, they, and uh, they use all these acronyms and so forth. They cannot communicate. So we're becoming less literate as a society. And I find, I find young people are becoming disconnected. I mean, they, they don't go out. That's, I think ultimately we won't go out and be with each other. We'll just we'll be confined to a dank basement, you know, texting. And maybe eventually we'll evolve to have really big thumbs. There you go. That's, you know what? We'll do this again next week. I'm sorry for all of you that we didn't get to. We'll make more time for it uh, next week. Maybe I'll work a few into the open line segment as well. Why don't we do that towards the, uh, well, after the top of the hour. Nick Redfern is next. The MJ-12 docs. Are they real or a hoax? Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Happy birthday to you. Hey, Bye. where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up? must come down and it lands on the conspiracy show with richard Serrett from zoomer radio 
Welcome back. Just a heads up, coming up next week on the program, our, uh, reg- our panel, of course, will be here. Nelson Thal, media scientist, I mentioned him earlier, uh, and also Morgan Reynolds. And uh, the topic, well, we don't know yet. It's a little too early, but uh, the, the panel will be here. Uh, also, Joseph Farrell, um, who um, it's been a while since Joseph has been with us. Um, he a uh, prolific writer again, great, uh, great mind, great writer. And uh, he'll be here to talk about... Uh, well, sex trafficking. And, you know, several months ago, the whole Pizzagate thing was somewhat discredited because we had the WikiLeaks uh, uh, dump. And, of course, some of those emails uh, led to some speculation that there was a, a, a sex trafficking ring, a child sex, sex trafficking ring happening in and around Washington centered on this pizza restaurant. Well, okay, that was discredited. But I think we're all... We all have our head in the sands if we if we don't think. I think you know it's pretty common knowledge that uh, child sex trafficking is a global. Uh, it's a pandemic. It's it's just a cancer, and it's going on, and it and it, it is going on in some very high circles. Uh, and um, so Joseph Farrell will be here to talk about that, uh, and then. My good friend, colleague from coast to coast, George Norrie will be here. George has a new book out called Mad as Hell. Mine just arrived uh, the other day, so when I get home uh, after a little nap tonight, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and dive into it. George Norrie will be on the program uh, next week as well. And, of course, we'll uh, have our open lines and um, uh, what's in the box, all of that and much more. Majestic 12, or MJ-12, Uh, is the code name of an alleged secret committee of scientists, military leaders, government officials that was formed, uh, again, allegedly in 1947 by an executive order by U.S. President Harry S. Truman. And its mission was to facilitate the recovery and investigation of alien spacecraft. The concept originated in a series of supposedly leaked secret government documents first circulated by ufologists back in 1984. Recently... Uh, the host of Midnight in the Desert, Art Bell's show, hosted now by Heather Wade, announced she was in possession of new MJ-12 documents. And uh, here to discuss is uh, Nick Redfern, whose main area of research centers around determining what has been learned about the UFO subject at an official level in Great Britain and uh, here in America. Nick is the author of several best-selling books on UFOs, including the FBI Files, the FBI's UFO Top Secrets Exposed, Cosmic Crashes, The Incredible Story of the UFOs That Fell to Earth. And his newest book is The Roswell UFO Conspiracy, Exposing a Shocking and Sinister Secret. Nick Redfern, good to have you back on the program. How are you? Hey Richard, thanks for having me on again. How My pleasure. Thanks. All right, when did you first hear about the uh, the, the the latest uh, MJ12 documents uh, being released and uh, falling into the possession of of Heather Wade at uh, Midnight in the Desert? Um, well, when I, I first found out about it, when um, Heather posted it to the Midnight in the Desert website, I didn't know anything about it before that at all. All right, and uh, she has them posted uh, there mm-hmm. uh, for all to say see. They're in a in a PDF uh, format. And uh, I, I believe there are 24 pages mm-hmm. in this release. Um, what can you tell us about how how she received these documents? Um, well, we're not entirely sure. I mean, um, Heather stated that her source was a was a trusted source, and I, I know Heather. You know, I've been on her show many times, and um, I actually don't have any issues or problems with Heather at all. You know, when she says that um, she got it from a trusted source. I believe it. Sure. Um, no, I don't think know. she's misrepresenting anything here. She's just, here's what I have. This, you know, this, these yeah. are the claims. And, uh, you know, she's 
posted them there for people to decide. Now, she had Stanton Friedman look at them. Mm-hmm. What do you make of that, Stanton Friedman? Well, you know, I think regardless of who looks at it, the, the only issue I had with the, the approach that Heather took was just one issue, and that was, I, I, if had it been me, I wouldn't have put them in the public domain. What I would have done would be to sort of study them as carefully as possible and try and determine if they were real or fake. And if they were real, or it looks like they were being real, then eventually, when you finish your investigation, put them out for everybody to see. And, or if, they, if you find and you can determine that they're hoax, well, don't even put them out in the first place. Just, just, you know, just don't tell anybody. Because the, pro- the, the problem that very often happens in ufology is that a lot, there's a lot of good researchers and people in the subject, but there are also a lot of Walter Mitty types. And when the original MJ-12 documents surfaced in the 80s, you had people claiming and say, oh, I saw those when, you know, I was working in the military, etc., etc. But they clearly didn't. And nobody ever mentioned it before, <clears throat> before those documents surfaced. So in other words, it was people jumping on the bandwagon. So I always think that if you've got questionable documents, the most, as I see, the most responsible thing to do is not to tell anybody not to release them, to work sort of quietly and carefully to try and verify or unverify them. And then if you want to put out a statement saying you found that you were given these documents, they looked interesting, intriguing, but they turned out to be hoax, well, you can do that. But for me, that just adds more controversy to the subject. It's better off if you think they're hoaxed not to release them. Uh, but if, like I said, if you think you've got something that um, confirms them, and you've gone as far as you can, then put them out. Um, but I think, you know, um, when you put them out in, in this sort of situation, <coughs> what happens is that everybody immediately hits on them, and, you, ha- you know, you have this huge debate, which could have been avoided by just keeping it all behind the scenes, you know. Those 24 uh, pages of this MJ, the alleged MJ-12 document, what what is in there um, mm. pertaining to Roswell that has had so many people excited that this was the smoking gun finally? Mm. Well, well, basically, it's, you're right. It's 24 pages, and it's actually not a, a document that originated supposedly with the MJ12 group. It's actually a defense intelligence agency document which talks about the history of Majestic 12 and the history of the Roswell crash and an alleged. UFO crash in Aztec, New Mexico in 1948. And it basically, in very abbreviated fashion, obviously, talks about the, the standard story that, you know, is largely accepted by ufology of Roswell, of this strange thing coming down on the Foster Ranch in Lincoln County, New Mexico, and of wreckage and strange debris being found and a number of bodies, etc. And then it talks about the alleged crash in Aztec, New Mexico, which is, in, which is in North New Mexico in March 1948, which has been certainly not as the subject of as much interest or... No, it's been overshadowed, but it's an interesting Roswell, case. It's sort yeah. of, you know, it's sort of Roswell's little brother, if you like, almost. A great point, yeah. Yeah, and now, if you read those parts of the book, excuse me, of the document, some people have said they felt, well, you know, that actually kind of reeled them in they thought wow this is really interesting until you get to the port the part where what you have is an interview 
with one of the alleged survivors from the Aztec crash. In other words, it's an interview between representatives of MJ-12 and a surviving alien. But if you read that, I mean, it's just a joke. I mean, the alien um, talks just like we do. You know, at one point, I'm paraphrasing here because I forget the exact words, but at one point, the, in one of the interviewees speaks to the alien and he, sa- and he replies, well, hang on a minute because we're going to be here all night if we keep going on like this. <laughs> that's literally how the wording is. Can I step uh, out in the hall and get a soda? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly what it's like. And, you know, they, the alien basically says, you know, they came here because they, they love trees and, you know, trees are great. And... Um, and, you know, when you read it, it, the terms they use, sort of the slang and, the, you know, the language, is exactly how we talk. And, I mean, for me, this isn't even disinformation. I, I, I actually do I think this is somebody's idea of a joke. Um, well, that's interesting. I, you don't think it's, it's part of a, a, a disinformation campaign uh, to discredit uh, the whole disclosure movement. You, you believe it was a, it was a joke from the get-go. Yes, well, it could have been. I mean, I'm not saying it couldn't be, um, you know, a disinformation thing. But the reason why I don't think that is because, because of these very issues with, for example, the, um, the whole issue of the interview, most people have steered away from it. And I think if it was disinformation, it would be far more subtle than that. Uh, because that issue of the... Um, of the interview really did turn most people off when they finally got around to reading it fully. They're like, well, hang on a minute. Yeah, the first few pages are interesting, but then you get to this interview, and it is a joke. And really, hardly anybody has endorsed the documents at all. You know, the the media, ironically, have covered it sensationally and have said, uh, particularly the tabloids in the UK, have said, um, oh, you know... um, New documents surface on Roswell. Is this finally the answer? Well, if they'd taken their time to review the document properly, um, you know, they they would have seen that it was actually a joke. Really, not worth publishing. Nick Nick Redfern uh, is with us. Uh, His new book is "The Roswell UFO Conspiracy: Exposing a Shocking and Sinister Secret." We're going to have to have you on. Uh, for our, a longer segment, just to talk about the book, uh, and hopefully we can do that uh, soon, yeah, Nick. Sure. But just uh, on, uh, what, are, what are your thoughts generally about Majestic 12? Is it real? Was it real? Not in my opinion, no, because I don't believe aliens crashed at Roswell. And the whole point of Majestic 12 is, is that it was supposedly a committee set up to investigate the issue of aliens crashing at Roswell. Um, but the, the problem with... All of these Majestic 12 documents that have surfaced is that they're all alleged to be leaked documents. You know, there's not an original document, um, you know, that can be 100% proved to be real. And the vast majority of them that have surfaced are photocopies. So, in other words, analysis of them is 99%, you know, impossible when you're dealing with something that's supposedly leaked. And it's photocopied as well. So you have no sort of um, way to, to date it. You have no way 
you know, to determine the nature of the paper. Right, you can't authenticate it. Pages. Nick, we are out of time, but thank you so much for this. Again, it's uh, the, the new book is The Roswell UFO Conspiracy, Exposing and a Shocking and Sinister Secret. We'll have you back on soon. Thank you so much, Nick. All right. Thanks a lot, Richard. Nick Redfern. Open lines after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Just holding up the heart from our remote viewing experiment. That goes out to all of you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support over the years. I love you all. And uh, for those of you on the uh, the live uh, chat on YouTube, I only uh, got to a couple of your questions. Maybe we'll try and work some of those questions, uh, Ryan, into the uh, into the proceedings now because we're heading into open lines. And let me give you the phone numbers: four one six three six zero zero seven forty. 416-360-0740 and toll-free from out of town, 1-866-744-740. Out of town, 866-744-740. But first of all, of course, let me thank you for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. And a big hello to all of you listening in on our flagship station here, Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto. All of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations across the United States, Canada. And, of course, the, uh, the app, uh, two of the apps, actually. Zoomer Radio has a great app and also the, uh, the Conspiracy Show app, both free downloads for iPhones and uh, Androids. All of you listening in on the podcast, whether it's through Stitcher Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, TalkZone.com, uh, and those, of course, watching us on the uh, live YouTube stream, take a moment, hit subscribe, The Conspir- Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, however and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. All right, and uh, as promised, now till the bottom of the hour is open lines, and we'll also work in some... Uh, some YouTube live chat questions as well. Let's begin with uh, Earl. Earl has a question. Is He's in Oakville. Go ahead, Earl. Hi, Richard. This is about the Paul McCartney death hoax. The first time I learned about this was in high school. Yes. And a fellow student by the name of Era, uh, who was a Paul McCartney look like, uh, oddly enough, uh, <laughs> and he was talking about, how, uh, about Paul McCartney death hoax. And then I read a book years later about it. I'd like to know what your point of view is about the subject. Well, this was a question that was very near and dear um, to my uh, my late friend, R. Gary Patterson. And his yeah. first book, sort of in this whole arena, was called The Walrus Was Paul, uh, which set out to sort of deconstruct and debunk, if you will, the whole Paul is dead and re- was replaced by a double, a legend, which is, is amazing when you think about it, because this was a legend that started in, the, uh, in about 1969, uh, and this is before – think about this. This is a legend that went viral before the internet. 
It began perhaps uh, with uh, a a call into a radio station. Uh, There was one in New York and one in Detroit where the DJs took these questions or these these uh, these calls, and this caller was going through all of the death clues that were that are found, for example, on Sgt. Pepper's uh, Lonely Hearts Club Band. Not only on the album cover, the album art, but also in the lyrics. And I won't, I don't have time to go through, you know, all of the clues. But again, the idea was that McCartney died in 1966 uh, in November after an all-night recording session and uh, left in kind of a tiff. Uh, and this was, of course, hinted at in the uh, the song from Sgt. Pepper's called A Day in the Life. He blew his mind out in a car. He hadn't noticed that the lights had changed. These are all sort of the, sort of the, the clues. Um, then, of course, in Abbey Road, we have Paul McCartney uh, is the only one walking across Abbey Road uh, barefoot. And, uh, well, when you bury someone, you don't bury them with their shoes. On and on it goes. Here's the thing. If McCartney did, in fact... A, a die in 1966, and they replaced him with the one and only Billy Shear. They actually managed to find somebody, I think, not only who played, you know, bass, a left-handed bass, but was perhaps arguably even more talented than the original. I mean, I know there's some a lot of questionable McCartney material as, as a solo artist, sort of particularly in the mid-'80s. Uh, but when you look at the body of work from... 1966 forward. I mean, McCartney uh, just stands out. I mean, as a stellar composer. I mean, the, the body of work speaks for itself. So I don't believe that Paul McCartney died, blew his mind out in a car in 1966, and was replaced by a double. However, I love talking about it. It's great bar talk, as we like to say. And uh, now you've got me missing my pal R. Gary Patterson again, because this is the sort of thing that we would we would talk about. Um, a lot. Anyway, that's my position. Sir Paul uh, did not die in 1966. Thanks yeah, for the call. I agree with you. You take care, Paul. All right. Uh, our time for our weekly UFO sighting update from our good friend in uh, Oshawa. Is it Paul? Paul, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Good morning, How are you, Richard? How are you keeping? I'm well, thank you. And I have to apologize. I know you sent me some more. Uh, you sent me some more photographs of a, of a sighting, and I haven't had a time. I haven't had a chance to look at those. Uh, yet. Do you want to describe what you sent me? Uh, uh, well, I've sent so much, Richard, I, I can't be sure of the last one I've sent because <laughs> I've had so many other sightings that I probably haven't even sent to you. Um, but I would like to recant a story uh, of a co-worker at work uh, going back to 2005 uh, where uh, he uh, is a witness of mine. I have at least today. Uh, 16 co-workers who I pointed UFOs out to uh, during the day. So uh, with this fella, um, and uh, after I showed him a sighting in the day, uh, he and his wife later had seen a red UFO uh, in uh, early 2005, a red one at night. And it continues on that the co-worker was on break, and he came to me stunned feeling he had some missing time and some red drops on his newspaper, feeling they may be blood. I looked at it. uh, Maybe it looked like ink, but he seemed pretty freaked out about it. So to fast forward from that time, uh, late in uh, the fall of 2005, uh, I could see uh, a single, uh, like the uh, layout of the warehouse has uh, fluorescent lights. Uh, The single light above him was flashing on and off uh, at the same time 
as I was about 80 yards away where I could see it flashing to him. It was flashing above me, and he was spinning around going, what the F? And uh, this is what leads into a very interesting uh, story of a coworker, uh, girlfriend waiting on December 21st, 2005, at uh, precisely uh, 4.40 or 4.45, called uh, her boyfriend uh, to say, there's a UFO I'm watching outside your workplace. And he put the phone down. He says, my girlfriend sees a UFO outside who's parked outside. So he, myself, and two other coworkers ran outside to take a look. He went over to the car. She's pointing through the windshield to the southwest. It had just hit dusk uh, at that time, uh, being in the winter. And uh, me and the other two fellows, we couldn't see anything. We saw maybe a couple of jets going across the sky. So we went back in. And then later he came back in. I said, so what do you see? He says, she's pretty freaked out. She saw uh, a cross-shaped UFO. And I said, wow, really? A cross-shaped? And I said to him, well, uh, did she say what color it was? And she goes, oh, she's pretty freaked out. She didn't tell me. So I said, well, uh, let me know tomorrow when you come in. So he came in the next day, and I asked him, I said, so what color was it? And she said, he said to me, she doesn't remember. I said, she doesn't remember the color? I said, maybe next time you're with her alone, maybe you might want to check out her body. And his eyes widened. He goes, man, you're not going to believe this. But that night, uh, she said to me uh, after coming out of the shower, where did I get this scratch in her inner thigh uh, with a bruise? And I said, well, that's, that's, I don't know where that would uh, happen. Uh, you know, maybe she was taken. I gave a little bit of a laugh. And uh, so. Did she have you know, missing time? I'm sorry? Did she experience missing time? Uh, she didn't mention if she had miss, uh, uh, missing time. But right. um, <clears throat> here's, here's where it gets a little more uh, creepier. Uh, because this was on the 22nd that he told me this. So we break for, of course, uh, Christmas and Boxing Day. Following after Boxing Day, which I believe was on December 27, 2005, he came back in uh, to work uh, as, as he had to, and he says, if you got a minute, I want to talk to you. So we went over to the corner, and he says to me, Paul, I'm pretty freaked out. He said, uh, uh, two days ago, my arm uh, had some kind of a bruising. And it's, it's of course, uh, where the joint is between the forearm and the biceps. And uh, he said it, it was a mark on his one arm. He says, what's really freaked me out is that in a day it disappeared, and when I woke up today, it's on my other arm, and he showed it to me. It, it looked like uh, a brown mark, almost like uh, a Band-Aid, uh, you know. Well. Yeah, uh, I mean the story is fascinating. the The marks are, you know, they hard to say. That could be easily explained. My little guy woke up the day the other day, and he had um, he had a mark on his bicep, and we um, couldn't figure it out. And I suspect probably, you know, he gave himself a hickey for lack of a better term in the middle of the night. He was probably, you know, he, who knows what goes on? You know, you, you bang yourself, you know, in, in the middle of the night. You don't you don't realize you've hurt yourself. Whatever. Um, that aside, I mean, what's interesting to me, Paul, is that. You seem to attract these things, and then, the, the, then by extension, the people around you start experiencing these things. What's going on with that? Well, uh, I, I, I've uh, been sort of concluding that myself, that I find about uh, 15, 20 percent of people uh, who I've uh, shared uh, uh, my experience and telling them, showing them pictures, 
uh, or even pointing them out who have never witnessed anything before uh, will later come back to me in weeks or months and say, you're not going to believe what I had uh, seen. So can you will them, virtually will them? If you were to walk out and look up into the night sky tonight and say to yourself, I want to see a UFO, is it likely that you would see one? Uh, in that retrospect, it's a toss of a coin. Hmm. It's not all the time, but when you get these strong premonitions uh, before the afterfact, uh, maybe picking out the date, uh, as well as even during the day on a clear day, which uh, you know brings it uh, favorable uh, uh, further viewing up in the sky with no clouds. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have tendency to suddenly, uh, within as soon as I stepped out, or within minutes, see something. So the timing is uncanny. So it does look like uh, there is some form of uh, telepathic contact happening. Well, I know you're out in Oshawa, east of Toronto. Um, is that particularly is that a hotbed for UFO sightings? I mean, aside from your experiences, is are there an, a lot of, of UFO sightings out there? Uh, I've seen a lot of UFO sightings. I know sightings you have. I know you have. I've seen a lot of UFO sightings in Scarborough. Mm. Uh, funny enough, at times when I've gone downtown Toronto, I've seen UFO sightings during the day. Uh, well, they, as ju- well as they just seem to follow parts. you. They seem to follow you, Paul. Uh, listen, I uh, always appreciate the updates. Thank you. And uh, look forward to uh, speaking with you next time. Our good I friend Paul. I'll send you a new batch of pictures on the June 21st sighting where I had a witness. Excellent. All right. Open lines continue, 416-360-0740 in the GTA, 416-360-0740, toll free, 866-740-4740. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740. Or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's Mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means... There's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing. And she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Just a reminder, coming up at the uh, just after the bottom of the hour, our good friend Patty Greer, the crop circle gal, filmmaker, researcher, and... Uh, uh, a lot of crop circle activity, apparently, this season. So we'll get to the bottom of that. Right now, we continue on with uh, open lines. Let me give you the phone numbers once again. Uh, 416-360-0740. That's for the greater Toronto area. 416-360-0740. Toll free from just about anywhere. one 740 4740 uh, Before we get back to the calls, 
let me go to uh, Ryan and let's get uh, let's get a question from our uh, our lovely uh, YouTube uh, live chat room. There was a, a really good one from earlier uh, from Andrew Hillier. Uh, he wants to know about you know the terrible tragic Grenfell Tower incident. Mm. Uh, but what does the fire engulfing that tower? And it not falling, say, uh, in regards to 9-11. Well, a lot of people drew that uh, parallel or looked at that immediately and said, aha, uh, here we have a building that doesn't collapse uh, due to fire. And yet um, we're to believe that the World Trade Center towers uh, collapsed virtually within their own footprints. Not exactly. I mean, that's an over-exaggeration. You know, so what gives? Well, totally different construction, first of all. So I would be careful about making parallels between that horrible tragedy and the fact that that structure is still standing. Uh, and uh, that's not to say, though, it's, it's curious. I mean, there, are, there have been other buildings of similar construction. I believe there was a, a, a tower in Spain uh, that was totally engulfed in flames and burnt for hours and hours and hours and uh, did not collapse. But again, uh, kind of a unique construction with the World Trade Center towers. A lot of, um, not a lot of solid material. I mean, there's the concrete floors, and then you have like a ton of, of uh, gyps, gyp rock. Um, and uh, so, again, just to repeat, I wouldn't draw conclusions uh, or parallels between the World Trade Center towers and the, uh, the, tower, the apartment building in London. All right, uh, let's see. <clears throat> let's go to uh, Alan. Alan, I'm not sure where Alan's calling from, but he has seen ghost planes. Alan, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hi, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Where are you calling from, Alan? Hamilton. Hamilton. All right. You've seen ghost planes. Yeah. Uh, the first one was uh, 1990. Okay. I know it was quite a while back. And, uh, oh, yeah, uh, it was just like it was real, but it wasn't. Anyway, and then I, I'm pretty sure I saw one... Uh, about two or three weeks ago, during the daytime. Well, when you say you, you've seen a uh, you've seen a ghost plane, oh, describe it. What do you mean by a ghost plane? Okay, I, I might as well just tell you then. So uh, this was back in 1990. Um, I had a fire going on the beach. I was by myself, and I uh, was totally quiet. For some reason, I looked up into the sky, and I was just staring at the sky. You know, I wasn't doing too much. And all of a sudden, the clouds lit up, and I just sat there, and I'm looking at these clouds, and they're all lit up, and it was totally quiet. And then I heard this whistling sound, and then a a large, like, a rumbling sound, and then out from this cloud came this airplane, a propellered airplane. Right. And it just proceeded, it was flying towards over my head, and I thought it was, you know, this was... I don't know what I was thinking. I've never seen anything like it. So I put my head down and I shook my head like they do in the movies, like when you can't believe you see something, you well, just give your head a shake. Let me just stop you, Alan. Why would you be shaking your head at the sight of a propeller uh, aircraft coming out of the clouds? I mean, was it a vintage aircraft or was there something unusual yeah, about was, the plane? It was, it was like it was a large propeller aircraft. It sounded like something out of the war movies. It must have been vintage. Like maybe a, like like a, a like a bomber, like a like a yeah yeah. It was uh, something like a bomber. It was a large airplane like that had a, a low rumbling sound, okay. and it seemed like it was flying pretty low. And I could hear the sound of the engines. And um, anyway, so I lifted my head back up, and I and it was still there, and it, it just flew past over my head. And then I saw it basically disappear over the water. 
Let me ask you a question, Alan, and I'm not being uh, I'm not being glib here, or I'm not making fun, but it, I mean, was the air show going on in Hamilton at the time? Because there's a lot no. of those vintage aircraft. Okay. Uh, no, no, it was just a regular day, and the next day I phoned up the Mount Hope Airport. It's called Mount Hope Airport yes. at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, and I told them what happened, and I and I asked the guy. I said, "Is there any possible way? Can you think of any possible explanation for this?" And then he said, "The only way that." Like unless a person stalled the airplane and then came, uh, came down and started up the engines, right. as he got closer to like it's called a stall. Like he says, nobody purposely stalled an airplane. Nobody would do that. Right, right. So yeah, like, it was just wh- strange the way I looked up. It was totally silent. Then the clouds lit up. Then I heard the sounds. And then this airplane came out of the clouds. That's fascinating. And then when I saw it disappear over the water, I thought, oh man. Alan, great call. Um, okay. Yeah, um, great story. And uh, my, my late father um, once told me, and I don't know whether he, he believed at the time that it was a hallucination, but this was after the war, maybe late 1940s. I think he was just starting uh, – he had just started to date my mother, mm-hmm. late 40s, and uh, was driving down a country road here in southwestern Ontario and um, looked out the windshield, and there, flying very low, I believe he described it as a, Lanc- a Lancaster bomber, yeah. and uh, just flying sort of over the road, and then it disappeared. Uh, so ghost plane, hallucination, hard to say, but fascinating. Fascinating, okay. Alan. appreciate it. Thank Have you. Have a good night. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, is it Dana checking in from Scarborough? Dana, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Oh, great. Thanks, Richard. How about you? Top drawer. Thank you. Great. Um, so I want to comment again about the mainstream media, and I'm glad that you cover it. Um, you seem to be covering it um, weekly, which is... Um, well, it, I mean, the mainstream media comes up in our conversation. We've been talking a lot, yeah. uh, some may say too much, about what's happening no. south of the border. But it's, it's, we are living in historical... This is historical, what's happening, and it's quite, it's quite uh, uh, jarring to the nerves, quite frankly. No, I agree, and um, I'm, I'm actually not sure if it's in spite of Trump or because of Trump, that all that the fact that um, all of what's being disclosed is the dishonesty in the mainstream media. But I just wanted to make a quick point, which is you probably covered, but I just wanted to kind of reinforce. Um, so in my perspective, the agenda of the mainstream media in the U.S. and in Canada, which pretty much mimics the negative coverage of Donald Trump that the U.S. Um, perpetuates, and I feel that it's to discredit his legitimacy and to... Oh, 100%. There's no question about that. And, and the goal is to get him out of office by any means possible. And this Russian collusion story seems to be dying down because I think it was... I hope you don't mind me mentioning this news uh, site, um, Drudge Report, which I usually go on for, um, well, daily just to get, like, updates because I feel that it presents the news... Uh, faster than um, anything that they put, put on the Drudge Report, basically, is on other forms of now, media. Matt has broken a lot later. of stories. Matt Drudge yeah. has broken. It's, it's uh, you can't debate that. Um, yeah. Um, sorry, you said that more eloquently than I did. But um, so I believe that that Russian collusion story, and they've, Drudge has reported it too, um, is kind of dying down now because it doesn't seem to be working after. How long has it been? Almost a year now. Eleven months. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's why they now they've now they've moved on. Uh, there is still sort of some clinging to it, but now they've moved on to obstruction, and so they're, now they're trying to nail 
the president on obstruction, and they've appointed this special prosecutor, the former head of the FBI, Robert Mueller, who is who's really good friends with uh, James Comey, which is troublesome. And then the 13 or so prosecutors that Mueller have, have, has hired for this investigation – uh, well, lo and behold, surprise, surprise, uh, they're, they're, um, they're Clinton supporters, Clinton donors. Um, you know, the, yeah, it's, it's, um, if it wasn't so tragic what's happening, it, you'd have to laugh. Well, I, um, I guess this is, this is obvious, but I mean, I just wanted to state that the, this constant um, negativity is just, it's just a form of like brainwashing the general public. Right. Um, so in terms of just, I seem to be to be constantly debating and sticking up for Trump, like whenever um, uh, people are just seem to be misinformed, they seem to just be regurgitating the same sound bites that they hear on the news, but they really don't have any evidence to back up any of these claims. And I feel that it's just the more you hear something, the more you tend to believe it, regardless of whether it's true. Yes, that's right. Uh, the uh, yeah, a lie told well is immortal, said Mark Twain. And so it's it doesn't even have to be um, backed by evidence or be factual. It's just like this constant repetition of of this negative coverage is is really tiresome. And but I don't believe that it will come to a civil war, as you stated in your in the beginning of the um, of the show. I'm not sure where it's going to lead, but I do feel that the Democrats are possibly rethinking their strategy because it's not working. Well, I, I'd like to, to think that. Policies. Let's see what happens in the midterm elections because if they get spanked again, uh, they've lost four special elections. We would call them up here by-elections. They've lost four in a row. Uh, some see that as a... Um, uh, as a as a, a vote for Trump, we'll we'll see what happens in the midterms, and hopefully, listen. I you know we need a, the United States needs a viable two party system, and uh, you know there are liberals and Democrats out there of good conscience, and hopefully they can take back the party because what it is devolved into is a is a, a disparate band of of um, uh, you know. Victims, self-proclaimed victims, and and cultural Marxists, and anarchists, and socialists, and uh, uh, they they they've taken control of the party, and that's not you know that stuff doesn't fly in Middle America. It's not maybe in pockets of California and New York, but that's not gonna it's not it doesn't bode well for the Democratic Party. And and hopefully they're smart enough and they will wake up, and then we will, you know, they'll they'll move things back to the center, and there'll be a more of a more you know measured and rational. A discussion that can take place again. Uh, as for the mainstream media, you're right. They, 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 journalism is dead for the most part, and now what we have are social justice warriors and right. activists who are being churned out of uh, J school. Uh, they are, you know, people with degrees in philosophy and sociology, um, with a leftist bent, and uh, yeah, they don't even try to hide it anymore. Um, However, they're not going to fool people like you, and I think they're not going to fool most people. Um, they're going to see through this, and hopefully sooner than later. Thank you for the call, Dane. I appreciate okay. it. Take care. Uh, Doug is in Indiana. Good evening. Good morning, Doug. How are you? I'm doing fine, Richard. i got a quick question for you. Yes. Uh, 
comets follow an elliptical orbit that takes them way out of the solar system into deep space, mm -hmm. and your planets and your asteroids and everything in a circular orbit. Can you tell me why, what keeps bringing comets back when they're so far in outer space past the realm of uh, any kind of gravitational pull from the sun, and they're, they're going absolutely against the sun in the opposite direction, what brings them back after they've been in outer space? You know, like Halley's comes back every 75 years. Right. It, it doesn't make sense that they should even, they, they should be slung, slingshotted right out into outer space and never come back. I, I can't understand what brings them in that deep of an electrical orbit back to the sun again. That's a great question, Doug. You know, and I've, I've never even thought of that, and I'm not an astrophysicist. I don't know. Uh, I've got some pretty smart fellows here in studio. Ryan, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I'm just thinking that, like, if the elliptical orbit is so huge that the Earth and sun aren't what it's kind of going around, they're going around something else, way bigger, um, then there's just kind of a bystander in its path. Like a tr like this, this twin sun we've heard so much mm -hmm. about. Well, that's an interesting point. Albert, any thoughts on that? Uh, I don't know. I, I wanted to get in this plug of Jenny Yoon from the Toronto Sun and uh, Ben Rayner from the Toronto Star. They uh, both picked up an article on ACE, and Victor Vigiani is giving that out as homework. He's hoping people will contact the media. And the Alien Cosmic Expo, which just wrapped yeah. up today, and uh, they got some great coverage in the Toronto Star and the Sun. Kudos to you, Victor, and all the people at the uh, Alien Cosmic Expo. All right, thank you for that. Uh, Doug, sorry I can't answer your question, but uh, we'll look into that. Maybe we'll bring someone on the program to talk about it. It's a great question. I appreciate okay, thank it. Thank you. Hey, did you know when, when, uh, when uh, uh, Haley's Comet came uh, the last time, there was a worldwide panic, well, particularly in the United States, because in the, uh, the, uh, there's like cyanide gas or something that trails in the comet, and they thought that that would envelop the Earth, and it would kill everybody. It was like they were having like Armageddon parties uh, the last time it swung by back in, what, 19... When was that? 1910 or something. Anyway, another show, another time. Uh, Patty Greer is up next. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Well, we are nicely into uh, crop circle season, and the word has it there's a lot of activity this year. And uh, what do we do when this is going on? Well, we go to the source. We go to the hardest working person in the, the crop circle arena, and that would be uh, Patty Greer, winner of eight prestigious filmmaking awards, including five EBE awards at the International UFO Congress Convention. And as I say, one of the hardest working UFO filmmakers in the world. She completed eight full feature UFO films in the last 10 years that offer explosive new evidence, footage and data about crop circles and plasma physics. And uh, here's what some uh, heavyweights in the field have to say about Patty. Uh, Stanton Friedman, I have known Patty Greer for a number of years and I'm very impressed with her film for, with her film work and her willingness to dig deep into controversial areas, Stanton Friedman. Uh, Donald Schmidt, good friend of the program and uh, one of the preeminent Roswell investigators, says Patty Greer is a breath of fresh air in the study of the crop circle phenomenon. Uh, it will be through her, her passion and dedication to solving this riddle 
that um, a final resolution is at hand, and the answer may illuminate us all. Uh, Patty Greer, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm great. Nice to talk to you again, Richard. Likewise. Uh, we're kind of once a year lately. <clears throat> well, we had you on a few times last year, but we'll, we'll, um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make sure that we remedy that. Oh, I really appreciate your support. And uh, gosh, we've been hanging since the black helicopter days. That's right, in, in uh, near Phoenix. Uh, now, those awards uh, behind you, are those the EBEs? Uh, yes, there's five of them, one hiding behind my head. Uh, the two darker ones are my new ones from the International UFO Congress this year uh, for my final film, Crop Circle Diaries. And I say final film because I feel like um, once I met Penny Kelly and started working with the real work of William Levengood and Penny Kelly, we answered all the questions that I ever had, and I think most people haven't even thought about with crop circles. But my first film, uh, The Wake Up Call, Anybody Listening, was kind of what I call my accidental film. And I think you remember that I found this binary code between two balls of light. Right. Yeah. And I didn't realize how important that was, but nobody noticed. <clears throat> so I put it in my fourth film, like three times, right up front. You know, bang, bang, bang over the head. Three times in a row. <laughs> yes. But people are so used to being told it's fake, go back to sleep, that they actually fell for it. So when I found the communication, which was totally telepathic, how I reversed the footage, slowed it down 30%. This is not something I studied, researched. It was. It came to me. And fortunately, I was running a camera, had an editor, so I locked the footage, and I found that there was this binary code proving, in my opinion, that Oliver's Castle, where two balls of light go down in seconds, is absolutely real. And as I was making my final film after meeting Penny Kelly and meeting Lefty, William Levengood, yes. uh, a year after he died, um, somebody came up to me with the original Oliver's Castle footage. So I have both of those in the film. And then somebody sent me a private message with two balls of light laying a crop circle down in France. And they said, use it if you need it. And I was stumped because it's like, how did you know I'm making my final film? And again, final, I, that's a big word, but I'm talking crop circles. I don't think there's more to say than... Um, what goes on in this movie that just won Best Film and People's Choice at the International UFO Congress. And the reason is uh, that I nailed the science of Lefty and Penny Kelly. So let's go to the punchline. What's the science? Why is it so important, okay? Yes, plasma physics, right? Plasma physics. But, you know, all these years, I, everybody's been told crop circles are coming out of the sky. Uh, most people are told crop circles are being made by a couple old guys, Doug and Dave, and now there's these Team Satan and all these, you know, teams of guys in England that are making crop circles for commercials, but that's not as important as the real circles. And so the science that's been suppressed, which was done incredibly well, Lefty's work, being the only scientist in the world that really worked on crop circles for decades, what they proved was that Crop circles are coming out of the earth in spinning plasma vortices of different boundary conditions, different frequencies in these counter-rotating spinning vortices. So you've got two at a time throwing the wheat down, corn, barley, oats in different directions, but they're being thrown down with intention 
And right before the weed was laid down, as we know, those balls of light communicated in a binary code that um, somehow I did find. And I know that that's how they're happening. So, so I showed that clip, that moment of the code of communication to a variety of different um, lettered people, and none of them could figure out what it was. And when I started working with Penny Kelly, I showed her the screenshot of the communication between the two balls of light, and immediately she said, wow, what a great moment. That's two balls of plasma communicating. Mm -hmm. And I was just stunned. I mean, she just nailed it in a moment because she's looking at it with a far more open mind, which is she's been working with the plasma field. Plasma communicates. Plasma uh, is the basis, most likely, of our new energy systems that are coming in once we evolve. All right, I've got to jump in here, Patty. We're going to take a quick time out. We'll come back, and we'll uh, continue to delve into plasma physics, crop circles, and uh, we'll do that with the one and only Patty Greer, the crop circle gal, the hardest working person in ufology. Back with more. Stay with us. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zoomer Radio. Welcome. Patty Greer is uh, with us. Let me give you the website where you can uh, check out uh, all of her Crop Circle films, and it's cropcirclefilms.com. Cropcirclefilms.com. Uh, and uh, there you'll see Crop Circle Diaries, Women of Today, The Shift Has Hit the Fan. Got to be careful how I say that one. The Shift yeah. Has Hit the Fan. Crop Circle Update, The Wake Up Call, Orbs and Light Beings, The Wake Up Call, Anybody Listening, 2012, we're already in it. UFOs, ETs, abductees, and brilliant minds. Now, Crop Circle Diaries is her latest, and she says her final film in terms of the Crop Circle arena. Uh, but I'm guessing, you know, once you catch the filmmaking bug, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are many, many stories out there yet to be told by Patty Greer, filmmaker. But let's get back to plasma physics. And, you know, this is pretty heady stuff. I mean, I, I've tried to wade through some plasma physics uh, papers. <laughs> Forget it. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, got lost in grade 9 algebra. How do you explain, can you explain plasma physics to a layman such as myself? Well, I will admit that I went to Penny Kelly's to go to William Levengood's wake a year after he died. And I was planning to stay three days, but I stayed three weeks. And the reason was exactly what you're saying. It is so heady. It is so hard to change your thinking after all these years of being misinformed about crop circles uh, coming from the sky or a couple of guys with boards and ropes um, to realize that it is actually the Earth herself speaking. So what we have ultimately is the living entity, the Earth, and crop circles are almost always, I'd say 96, 7 percentile, coming through an aquifer of water, sitting over an aquifer of water. Crop circles, 96 or 7 percentile, are also sitting on a ley line, which is a direct line between two sacred sites. So the epicenter of crop circle deliveries, <coughs> excuse me, 
is right in Wiltshire, England, which is southern England, between Stonehenge and Glastonbury. And right in the dead center of this epicenter is the Avebury Stone Circle, where three underground streams meet. So we have on the edge of the Avebury Stone Circle, which is actually older and larger than Stonehenge. Most people don't know about it, but it's a very important part of the crop circle phenomenon because the uh, epicenters there with the underground streams meeting, huge aquifer, and also the Michael and Mary lines meet at the edge of the Avery Stone Circle, and they are the most, uh, probably the word would be intense, ley lines on Earth that hold the most sacred energy power. So they're, they're right there at the Avery Stone Circle, and therefore with all the fields, you know, that the farmers have been uh, growing for the military since the 1940s, um, it's a beautiful palette canvas for the circle makers, and they've been delivering there more than anywhere else on Earth. We've seen them documented since at least the 1980s. So they're coming out of the Earth, they're coming through water, and they're predetermined. So once they're coming up, what we have is spinning, counter-rotating little tornadoes going in opposite directions of each other, and they get moving and moving faster. And when they move right to the point of being ready to communicate and deliver the message, they, what the human eye sees at the base of this vortex of spinning plasma is a ball of light. It's not literally a ball of light, but it's with the human eye, what I have seen and filmed to be able to put in the movies. Right. So these balls of light, which people see, they don't realize that it's the base of a big spinning vortex of very particular uh, spinning plasma. So if, in fact, humans were meditating, which has happened many times, and a crop circle appeared the next day, they were saying, oh, please show me this, please give me a confirmation. A lot of times what that is, is humans working with the earth. So they're sitting on the earth in a sacred site, and they're praying, you know, earth, please show me, and God, please show, you know, whatever name we want to put on it. Right. But they're putting it out, so we've got human consciousness frequency added to these spinning vortexes, vortices. Now, periodically, you'll see some that look like orbits and uh, spatial information. We have a lot of um, sacred geometry that looks like different orbits of space, giving us information out there. So perhaps they were flying over different races and asking the Earth, where do we go to go here? And so between them and their frequencies, asking the Earth, and the Earth and the water sends the message up, what we have then is them working with the Earth to bring this crop circle. Right. When humans are meditating, it's us working with the Earth to bring this crop circle. And we have so many that you can distinctly look at the patterns that when we start laying them out, wow, this one was human-made because it's clearly a schematic for a free energy device. Or there's a whole series of sacred geometry that if you start to spin them, all of a sudden you'll see propulsion. So crop circles are giving us a tremendous amount of information. And really, people are like, well, how do we get the message? It's pretty easy. All you have to do is look at them. How does this this message, this information that you're bringing, how does this fly with the UFO community, if I can use that term? Uh, because, as 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 you say, you're you're proving that this isn't coming. These aren't coming from the sky. There is a t- maybe a there is a link 
perhaps, uh, to unidentified flying objects, but it, it, this stuff is coming from the Earth. And you're showing these films at the UFO Congress and so forth. And a lot of those people, let's face it, they are intent that this is all about UFOs and, and these crop circles are, are signposts for UFOs and so forth. How does your message fly with the UFO community? Are they disappointed? Oh, God, no. No, crop circles are multidimensional. They're very extraterrestrial. They're very multidimensional because the opportunity to receive the message as well as create the message is all of us. It's all dimensionals. It's all elementals. It's the water, it's the earth, and it's human consciousness. So it is very much part of the UFO field. But I think the most important thing to mention here is why I've become the most hacked UFO filmmaker in history. Why? It's because I am the only filmmaker bringing William Levengood's complete science to the public in my final film, Crop Circle Diaries. And the reason that they've probably suppressed this uh, information so much is that the seeds inside crop circles are becoming super seeds. And the seeds are growing 30 to 400 percent more food and biofuel per plant with up to 75 percent more nutrition per seed. Richard, they are becoming super seeds. Take that, Monsanto. They planted them when it was too wet, too dry, too hot, too cold, and those seeds still made it. So what's going on in crop circles is another advanced technology, another, we could call it multidimensional technology like free energy, like zero point, like all these things that we're not doing now that can totally save the planet. What crop circles are about is bringing back the food supply. So, would we be able to, Patty, uh, through your research of, of uh, Dr. Levengood, would, would we be able to... Um, create those conditions in, in land that is not over a natural aquifer so that, for example, we could increase crop production in sub-Saharan Africa, etc.? Yes. Uh, the purpose of the crop circles is to give us the technology. Now what we have is the technology that we can reproduce in the labs, and Lefty and Penny reproduce those technologies. I've been in the lab twice. They did create the machines. Penny knows how, even if the lab blows up, to um, create the seeds again to move into the frequencies of uh, matching the crop circle technology. So what it is, is actually creating the seeds to become super seeds, and then you can plant them anywhere. It's kind of like the opposite of what Monsatan has been doing, where they're poisoning the seeds and making it so you can't replant them. This is the absolute opposite, where we're taking the seeds and bringing them back. And it's brilliant. It's consistently worked in the lab. And we know we've got this. It's why they've been hiding crop circles. And they even closed our research center. You know, we can call it a coincidence, but I don't think so. And the main store that was selling all crop circle things for decades uh, this summer said, oh, mate, we don't do crop circle stuff anymore. People aren't quite interested. It's like, hmm. what? I mean, the mind control is massive. But I'm here to break out. And, Richard, I just started doing something which is going to uh, hit this week. I am creating uh, webinars of crop circle information for free. They're not going to be edited with gorgeous footage and a lot of photos. It's just me teaching crop circles. But I'm doing it for free. I've done three already. Uh, they're going to hit this week, like I said. And I'm just going to teach online 
uh, complimentary webinars. People can see the movies if they want to see the evidence, the data, the footage, the photos. CropCircleFilms.com, eight movies, music soundtracks that won Best Musical Score also. And, man, I'm kicking butt. I'm working so hard. And I'm basically like Lefty, getting blackballed from speaking because they don't want this stuff getting out until they say it's time. But you know what? It's time. I think we all need to bring the food supply back, and crop circles are it. So uh, let's not let this die. Thank you for supporting my work. My pleasure, Patty. Now, is there a, perhaps another film out there for you relating to uh, a plasma technology in agricultural production? I think the film is this. I mean, this is, this is about as much information as I can put out because it's really about then people... Uh, doing it in their own fields with their own, um, uh, I mean, every, every area is going to have a different kind of, like you said, the water, the ley lines will always be different, but it's about bringing the right seeds to your property. All right, Patty. going to change what's going on on your farm. Crop and circle. I think that we can pull it off now. CropCircleFilms.com. CropCircleFilms.com. Get up there, buy the films, support Patty's work, uh, and uh, we'll get you on again soon, I promise, Patty. Thank you so much. Thank you. Patty Greer, CropCircleFilms.com. Oh, George Norrie next week on the program. George Norrie for the half hour towards the tail end of the show, talking about his new book, Mad as Hell. Can't wait. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Albert. Thanks, Ryan. All of you for listening at home. Back next, next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Day to you. Hey, Bye. where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.